Hello, I'm Freddie Gray, editor of Spectator USA, and today we're going to be listening to a nascent edition of Washington Shots, which is brought to you by our new Washington editor at Spectator USA, who's called Kurt Mills. Have a listen. Hello, this is Kurt Mills, Washington editor of Spectator USA, and this is our Friday edition of Washington Shots. I'm here with Tom Rogan, who is commentary writer at the Washington Examiner here in D.C., and he's also the host of the resuscitated McLaughlin Group, which I have been lucky enough to be on. Tom and I are talking about, what else, Iran today and the administration's pose in light of a series of escalations in the Gulf, but most specifically the purported attack on the oil tanker in the Gulf of Oman. Tom, what is your quick read on the whole situation? Well, I think, and good to be with you, Kurt, but I think the, the first point here is that Iran seems to be, through the Revolutionary Guards, as their own sort of subset of the hardliner faction. And I, I don't buy into the, the idea that it's just a that some of the sort of more hawkish people, which you probably put me in that category, but who suggest that it's a, you know, the Iranian regime should be treated as a unitary bloc. I think what we're seeing here is the Revolutionary Guards, through approval from Hamani, the supreme leader, taking action that they think can alter the American calculation, but taking action that doesn't come under the immediate auspices of something that would spark an American retaliation. And so that's why I think we see this veiled action against tankers rather than an action, say, in the vein of, you know, carrying out a attack on, you know, a U.S. diplomatic compound or at the high end attempting to shut down the Strait of Hormuz. It's an action that they know that we know is them, but that it is not causing major casualties. It's disrupting, it's causing oil price spikes so that the Europeans freak out about it and say to Trump, okay, we need to, you need to back off from this, it's getting too crazy. And I think that President Trump, they hope, may come to the conclusion that the economic risks of this in terms of his, the impact that would have on his re-election chances are, uh, and that, I mean, that's, that's a lot that's, of different that's stuff. An enormous, that's an enormous thing. Well, I'll, I'll table that one and we can conclude with it. Let me ask two questions that for those who are doubting what is going on. So first I'll make a comment. It is interesting, and now this, the news cycle may change by the weekend, but it seems that skepticism that the Iranians actually did this themselves or, Iran or the Iranians are fully culpable for this instance seems to have reached the mainstream. Why do I say that? There's an Associated Press report that seems to basically contradict what Senator Marco Rubio said, obviously very close to the administration, which Rubio floated, it must have been mines that did this, that must have caused the explosion, and the owner of the ship, which name, the name of the ship escapes me, says that he saw f flying objects, etc., etc. Secondly, a lot of people are saying, look, the administration has been essentially uniformly hawkish towards Iran for every single month except for the last month, where the administration, A, committed to negotiations without preconditions, and B, seem to be sort of dovetailing, sort of tailing back on its course in the mm -hmm. first 20 or so months of the administration. What do you make of that? What do you make of those criticisms? You have no doubt, obviously not on the ground, but you think there's no real doubt, reason to doubt whether or not Iran is 
Well, I mean, unless it's the sort of UFO things popping back up, which I'm quite interested in as yes. well. The I think flying objects, you know, there are other kinetic, you know, missile platforms, weapons they can use that they may have used in synergy with mines. I mean, I think the video footage of uh, an IRGC Navy ship yes, coming alongside, so, yes, yep. you know, and, and the question is, you know, we, do we do we trust... But that's a, I think that coming from CENTCOM rather than did you see the Mc- Saudi Navy. Did you see McKenzie's statement, uh, McKenzie being the uh, commander of CENTCOM, saying the U.S. has no interest in war? Isn't that sort of curious that the top military commander well, and, in the and, region has feels the need to and say so, that? And so I believe that, that there is no doubt, very, very little doubt. There's always a bit of, you know, the lesson yes. of the Iraq war in intelligence is that must always be a condition of some doubt. But there's very little doubt about Iranian culpability. I disagree with you on the sense of why. I don't think the shift we have seen from the administration's policy, and and I I would agree that the presentation of it has shifted in terms of the more conciliatory line. I think think the no preconditions, is that's a policy shift. I don't think it is. I think it's President Trump taking back control from Mike Pompeo. And I've, you know, if, if you read back, I think you're absolutely right. Pompeo and Trump are on very different pages on this. Yeah. Trump has his, we just want a nuclear deal, and then Iran could be a great country. Uh, essentially, this is a similar narrative to North Korea. Uh, and Mike Pompeo has the 13-point plan, yes. the preconditions for talks, yes. which suddenly has gone away. Yes. And suddenly in that, you know, even in Pompeo's statement this week, much more conciliatory. I think what's happened here is President Trump has put it more simply, decided to pay a little bit more attention. And it's been like, no, I, I don't agree with this 13-point plan. I think Trump is absolutely right on that, by the right. way. I, I think Pompeo was delusional to think. And, and it made me think that the real interest with Pompeo is regime change. Because right, right, he right. would know that the... I Iran- mean, the list of demands, just for anyone who's not familiar with it, or feel free to object to this, Tom, but were so compendious, essentially, yeah. that... It was end the Islamic revolution. Right, right, it, yeah. it was an existential... It was to, for the Iranians to accept those demands would have been for them to accept the end of the revolution. Right, yeah. So it was absurd on its face. And I think there was sort of realism there, uh, is what we see from Trump. I also... I mean, I'd be intrigued to... You know, hear what you think about this, but it, but in terms of the the military's concern about not wanting a war, is that ultimately there is always, you know, when when you hear some of the rhetoric, and again it has cooled off, but but if if the Iranians, especially the hardliner bloc, feel backed into a corner, which clearly they do economically, and perhaps we disagree on that, I think that's quite positive, but in a military sense, if they feel they have no other options than to prevent a, a coming American attack rather than try and sort of do the first jab and maybe the Americans back off. That's a big problem. And I think that's probably what the CENTCOM's concern is. You know, the big, I think, illusion for a lot of people is that in the, the post-Iraq world, military commanders want to get involved in conflict. They don't. They want right. their stability. Right. So what do you think? Well, I think, my, so McKenzie is, 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 I think he's the most interesting person in this whole thing, because McKinsey gave this, uh, I think, very controversial address to the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, which people, there's obviously no prohibition against a major general making an address to an outfit like that, but FDD is... Very uh, hawkish. Yeah, very hawkish, very political. You know, they, they, they're nonpartisan, uh, technically, but they, they have an agenda. I don't think they would deny that, and I don't think they would deny that they're hawks. They, in fact, they don't deny that they're hawks. And McKinsey gave the address there, and and has very much been the front man on the maximum pressure approach uh, in the last month. And he, he, as recently as a week ago, 
argued that essentially the maximum pressure had caused Iran to hold back in the region, had humbled them. At the same time, Pompeo, yesterday at Foggy Bottom, listed five, six, seven instances, some pretty attenuated, say, the uh, the Taliban, blaming the Taliban right. attack on Iran, for all the reasons that Iran has not stepped back in the region. Mm-hmm. So whether putting aside the question whether or not you think maximum pressure is the right course, it seems that senior U.S. leadership is saying two different things about whether or not it's working. And I think clearly, if you think the Iranians are behind the Gulf of Oman attack, it's definitely not cowing them. In fact, you could argue it's, it's caused them to have the opposite reaction. Well, I think it, it, at that tactical level, there is some action. But, but I think it's notable, more noticeable what they didn't do in terms of what they did. I mean, these, these incidents are a big concern in the sense that they are reflective of trying to shut down a major international transit route. But at the same time, you know, they are not mining the Strait of Hormuz. They are not assassinating American diplomats or kidnapping diplomats through Lebanese Hezbollah. The financial struggles that they have in terms of being able to project power through those proxies, I think, is quite clearly limited. Clearly, those groups still, you know, pose a potent challenge. And we would not, which is why I think the better element of Trump's policy would be the idea that you can degrade their capability, even if you can't degrade their intent. And so it's a longer term process where, you know, you're trying to take advantage of the various political frictions within Iran. I I don't think necessarily President Trump is as nuanced about it as Mm. that. But I, I, you know, I do think that one of the challenges here is to be able to focus tightly on that idea of a new nuclear agreement. And you do see, you know, the tension in terms of what the Iranians say. I mean, Zarif, you know, a while ago, you know, offering his resignation, Harmony. What do you think of that? Well, I think I think that was, you know. The battle uh, between the hardliners and the moderates. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a real. Some would say the so-called moderates. Well, yes. the more moderates, I yes. say. More yeah, moderates. I think it is. It's it, We want to take advantage, however so, we can, of trying to empower the. Speaking yeah, of Zarif, yeah. it's interesting that. Well, for, uh, so I, I think it's an interesting question whether or not the battle is between. Pompeo and Bolton v. Trump, or if it's a battle, but if the disagreement, the the, uh, the lack of confluence, or is it between Pompeo and Trump v. Bolton? I think it's an, sort of an open question. However, it does seem to be an open strategy of the Iranian government, if you look at Zarif, to cleave Trump from his advisors. Uh, if you looked, I, I, in, my, in my view, very influential was Zarif's Sunday show circuit about three weeks ago, where Zarif singled out the B team, the B team, the so-called B team, and he, someone he did not name yeah. was Pompeo. Now, I think there's basically two reasons why he wouldn't name Pompeo. One, he knows he has to negotiate with Pompeo, or two, he thinks Pompeo is not nearly as as imperiled as Bolton, or doesn't think he's as hard line, or some kind of combination mm. thereof. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I saw another thing that Zarif did. I think probably the same time as. Actually, it was a few weeks ago in New York, you know, again, making this B-team case and how explicitly saying that we think Trump is more amenable to something that he's not on the same page. I think you're probably right about Pompeo, right, that, that he expects at some point he's going to have to deal with him. So he wants to, you know, he's a really very crafty political operator. But, you know, I, I do think that the the way in which the Iranians are trying to sever Trump away from those more, let's say, more, the, the more American hardline influences, the, Pom- the Pompeo thing, Bolton, mm. if not necessarily in Pompeo in name, is because they are to some degree amenable to a deal, right? right? If, if there was no interest in some kind of deal, they'd be replicating the Harmony's rhetoric right. as sort of spiritually veiled as it is, but increasingly aggressive. So these tensions are something I think that are 
positive, and I think they flow from the economic pressures in the regime and the great divide. To conclude, politics, as mm. promised, I think we are 16 months from the next presidential election. That has to weigh on, I mean, it's no secret for President Trump, everything's political. Yeah. Uh, this has to weigh on the approach. I think you can see basically two main theses on how they could approach this. Thesis one, I think, is going to win out and is the most likely what they're going to defer to, which is a war is bad news for uh, A, oil prices, yeah. and B, are we really ready to do some kind of military strike or actually outright invasion of Iran? Probably not. That would hurt Trump politically before the There's the no election. chance of an invasion, I think, unless I, the Iranians no blow up chance. a restaurant, right? Well, I mean, so I, I'll, I'll just to push back a little bit. I, I do think that a cynic would say you've seen one the repeated emphasis on Iran is the number one state sponsor of terror, yeah. which it is designated by the U.S. government. But, of course, the kind of terror that they are accused of doing, or they, that they, they do, is quite different than, you know, obviously Wahhabi Sunni terrorism, yeah. right? right? I mean, the number of people killed in European cities and American cities by Shia Iranian terrorists is basically nil. And then second, I think you have seen the Iran-Al-Qaeda link made. And I think you've, as recently as yesterday, the Iran-Taliban link made. By Pompeo. Well, he's, he's, not the the, he's the Secretary he's not of the State president. of the United States. He's I mean, not I, the president. I think what the Secretary of State matters. It says matters. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but like a bus blows up in Manhattan. All well, the, that would all, be caveat. That's a fair point. All bets are off. And I mean, I, and, and so it's the kind of, I think it's fair to say that the more that Iran is sanctioned, the more that Iran is, you know, basically isolated from the U.S. and European business community, the more they're in the position that Iraq was in in the late 90s, early 2000s, which basically, or that Syria is in now, which is if they screw up, they're bombable. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's, I mean, I I think if, if they did blow up a bus, we'd just bomb the hell out of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we'd actually invade. But who's they? I mean, is, is it well, the IRGC. I, okay. the, where I would yeah. caveat, where I think you're right, and I probably haven't, I want to be a little bit deferential here at least. The, you know, with the IRGC, we, the caution about putting them in a position where they think the only way to unify the nation in that traditional sense is to go to war. Right. And, and hope to bloody the Americans enough where Trump cuts a deal, a ceasefire in a war. Because of their own internal problems. Exactly. No, I, I think we have to be cautious. We have to be, I think that's a, a real concern. That, that actual hardliners want it yeah. because the economy is so bad. Yeah. Because the tensions are working. Uh, but I do think this idea of Trump, though, they know, especially the economy, especially with the polling with Biden. I mean, this intersectionality, I think, is, you know, important that, that Trump sees his vulnerability as much as he won't admit it. So you're a Biden bull, relatively speaking. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think Biden... Biden is, yeah. Famously, infamously getting this way. Yeah. <laughs> I think Biden is just, it's just a mortal threat, yeah. potentially, to, to, the, to the president. Yeah. Let me, let me close on this. I do think there is quite fantastic scenario, though, that they could go the other way. They dump Pence, they put Nikki Haley on it, and they start hitting Iran. I'm not saying that Haley would necessarily be, I don't, I'm not sure she's even particularly more hawkish than Pence, but basically it's a complete double down on a certain approach. The president is the president presiding over a war, mm -hmm. a roaring economy, and it's Bush 04 redux. The economy is not going to be roaring with China and an Iran war, though. Well, I don't know. It was roaring with Unless. the Iraq war. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, what? Well, Kurt, if that happens, then I can join your foreign policy philosophy. I do not Well, wait. on that, I'm going to close. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to close. Thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> great, great Bye. time, Kurt.